A mother was preparing pancakes for her sons, Kevin, age five, and Ryan, age three. The boys, they begin to argue over who would get the first pancake. By the way, this has actually happened in my house. Uh, I have three kids. Has that ever happened in anyone else's house? They begin to argue over who would get the first pancake. Their mother saw this as an opportunity for a lesson to be taught. And she said, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. (laughs) We're always happy when everyone else lives a sacrificial life, when everybody else freely gives, when everybody else works really hard, when everybody else does what God wants them to do, we're very happy, but God says, I'm aware of them, but what about you? Are you part of this really good problem? That the people all had, no one was turning to the other and saying, you be that person, but collectively, all the people said, I want to bring, I want to give. I want to serve. I want to do that which the Lord has asked me to do, but I'm not looking at the person beside me or the left or right of me. Lord, I want to be part of this incredible outpouring and giving. You know, Jesus, uh, he set that example for us, didn't he? He didn't look to anyone else to be the giver. He was the giver. He was the one that gave everything. And we, we receive an abundance, we receive an overflow by His giving, don't we? Even to this very moment. The Scripture tells us, that so we look here in verse 1, He's put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work. And in verse 2, it tells us that in every gifted artisan, in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom... Now, the wisdom to do what they must do, the commitment to do it, the understanding on how to do it, the perseverance to keep doing it, all of these things had to start with a willing heart. Wouldn't you agree? The heart had to first be willing. The Lord even said, we covered this last week in chapter 35, it's mentioned here again in 36, that all that had a willing heart... They had to have the free will to say, yes, Lord, we will obey your commandments. You know, God commands all men to be saved, but not all men will obey that command. True? Jesus told about the rich man who lifted up his eyes in hell. He had the same opportunity that Lazarus had, but he wasn't interested. Some say, yes, Lord, I I want to give my heart to you. That's where it starts, right? Long before God, long before you can give God anything else, it has to start there. Some people have nothing to give God but their heart. The widow, she didn't have anything. All she could give was her heart. But it starts with the heart. The Lord wants us to have that heart that says, yes, Lord, you've given so much to me. The children of Israel had received an awful lot from the Lord, hadn't they? 400 years of slavery. 400 years of slavery. Imagine if your family had spent the past 400 years as slaves. 400 years of slavery. The Lord says, I've delivered you. But here's what I want. I want your hearts. That's what he asked for. Now, when, I give you, when you give me your hearts, I will ask you to serve me, to work for me, to give your lives back to me in service but don't worry, you'll be the beneficiary more than God. Amen? Because God really doesn't need our help on anything, does he? Does he really need our help to build a tabernacle? Does he really need our gold? When we get to heaven, there's a lot of gold. He doesn't really need anything you and I have to offer, does he? Because the Bible says even our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. He lets us participate, but he doesn't need our help, but he desires that we would actually be in that fellowship of working with him. Jesus said, I must be about my 
father's business. And then, of course, everyone that came and believed in him would join in being part of the father's business. But they first had to surrender their heart. You and I had to first surrender our heart. The fact that I like to go to church now at the age of 44 and, and for the last, what, 18 years or so of being saved is because the Lord first claimed my heart. I had to yield it. I had to say, yes, Lord, I'll never forget. The day I got saved there in Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, I mean, the, the, the ridiculous things that I had to put on the altar to be saved, the Lord ran them all through my heart. Because Sundays was a fantastically fun day for me every week. I really looked forward to playing beach volleyball or, or going surfing or sleeping in or doing whatever it was. And the Lord says, I own that now, but I'll give you eternal life. Hmm, let's see. Even if I, like we celebrated my grandmother's 95th birthday yesterday, 95 years old, Love talk, and, her, and her sister was there, 92, to ask them questions. Uh, you know, I love when, you know, they, you're so young, I'm 44, you're so, I, you know, when you're 95, everyone seems young. <laughs> but even if you live to be that long, that old, no matter what, that's not eternal life, that's a vapor. Eternity never ends. So the Lord says, I'll give you eternal life. I'll let you live forever with me. But anything you're, you're holding in your hand, you're going to have to let go to grab on this life preserver. I'll give you a new heart. I'll take your heart of stone, your heart of foolishness, your heart that actually thinks that you can find fulfillment in this world. And I believe that. While I was going to college in Miami and bartending my way through school and all the things that, that I uh, wanted to accomplish, and the Lord says, none of those things, even if you got them all, will ever be able to satisfy what I will give you. But you must yield your heart. And even after we yield our heart, and children of Israel, they had been delivered, as it were, from Egypt, which is a picture of this world. But even after we've been delivered, our heart is still stingy like Kevin and Ryan, isn't it? Right? We still sometimes, after we've given our heart, we sneak back and take a few things back. Don't we? Lord, uh, remember when I was willing to give you everything? I went a little overboard. Right? I meant this list. This is after we're saved, right? I, I didn't mean all that stuff. I meant this part of the list. And God says, no, no, no. If I continue to renew your heart, you won't think like that. That's the natural man. The natural man is going to be there until you die. The natural man will always lie to yourself and tell you things that are opposite of where God wants us to be in our heart. The psalm, psalmist wrote in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and you know the rest, and renew a... What's that word say? It says renew it, as if there's something needs to be renewed. You ever seen that commercial where they, they, they take that stuff on, and they put on the halogen lights of the front of the car? gets all foggy looking. I have no idea if that stuff works. I have found that in my past, things that I bought off TV commercials rarely ever worked the way that they said they would work. So I am a real skeptic when it comes to products that are amazing. But nevertheless, if it did work that way, you can see how the, the foggy, cloudy headlights becomes clean. And that's us. Our heart needs to be renewed on a regular basis. I don't know about yours, but mine daily. Daily needs to be renewed. And a steadfast spirit within me. The things that God's called us to do, we have to be steadfast. There's a million reasons to stop. There's one reason, Jesus Christ, to not stop. There's all kinds of reasons to lay. It, Jesus talked about you wouldn't even be fit for the kingdom if you put your hand on the plow and take it off and look back. He says you're going to have to continue day by day, allowing me to renew the heart, because there's much work to be done. You and I aren't building a tabernacle in the wilderness, but we are working in the vineyard until he returns. Amen? It's hard work. And you need wisdom. You need God cre God's creativity. We had, uh, you know, not this past, um, yeah, it was this past Monday, we had the, the uh, session where we got together to pray and, and brainstorm over the harvest outreach. And, and we need God's creative genius 
for everything. We need his help. We need him to show us, here's how we do these things, Lord, but our hearts must be yielded and in the right place for you to work. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says that I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart of flesh out and give them a heart of flesh, a softer heart, one that hears the voice of the Lord and says, you know, I'm not everybody that heard the commandments of Moses was thrilled. Matter of fact, many of the children of Israel opposed Moses, right? Some actually caused others to build a golden calf. Some thought Moses didn't know what he was talking about. Some thought he was uh, self-righteous and they were holy. I mean, all kinds of things that he had to deal with as the leader of the children of Israel. But at the end of the day, the ones with the soft hearts said, no, no, this is from the Lord. And we'll do that which God has asked us to do. Not everybody felt that way. God has to give us that soft heart where we say, Lord, this is your work. This is what you want us to do. And when we have that heart, God will give us new understanding. I read the life of, I read the life of George Mueller, um, and it's amazing. Here's a guy that God allowed him, similar to the Apostle Paul, he spoke six languages fluently. Born in Germany, right? Grew up, uh, you know, a, like everyone in Germany at that time, as part of more of the established Lutheran church, but wasn't born again. But when he became truly born again, God gave him an incredible understanding. He had already learned uh, languages, but just gave him an incredible understanding of the word, of linguistics, and you know, someday he would go on to preach the gospel, even after he started the orphanage there in Bristol, England, uh, to preach the gospel on virtually every continent. And in most cases, particularly in Europe, he wouldn't need any translators because he could speak the language. That's what you, when, I, when I look at these gifted artisans that God had given them understanding, God wants to do with you and I, far more than we could ask, think, or imagine. Do you believe that? I'm 44, and I believe in 10 years I could speak fluent Spanish and go do things that I can't do today. I know that's easy for God. Would you agree? Super easy for the Lord. There's things that uh, I talk about all the time, that we should have commitments that God's already asked us to do, goals that we're going to commit, say, Lord, these are goals that I'm going to work towards, and also that we have dreams that come from the Lord, say, Lord, I would love to someday even go beyond that and do this as well, and begin to work towards those things, and God says, I'll do through you even more than you could ever imagine, but it starts with our hearts. It has to be God doing a work in our hearts that we would be willing to whom the Lord, Lord's never looking for this is really a great thing to know. If you're not a talented person, you can feel really good about this. God's not looking for talented people. God creates talented people. God empowers people to do things they could never do. Gideon was not the guy that most people had in mind, was he? He wasn't even the guy he had in mind. Matter of fact, most people, when God came to Moses, Moses says, you've got the wrong guy. I heard sheep now. And whatever I used to be able to do for 80 years, well, at that time, 40 years, he was 80 years of age, but 40 years earlier, I can't do those things anymore. And God says, perfect, then I can do them through you. How could I ever speak to so-and-so? How could I ever be useful over here? I don't have that ability. God says, that's all I need to hear, that you said you can't do it, now allow me to do it through you. All I'm looking for is a yielded heart. A yielded heart. God can use Zacchaeus. God can use a little shepherd boy. God, all he needs is a yielded heart. And he'll take that. What if you just have a few fish and loaves? Can he feed a lot of people with it? Of course he can. Tell the children of Israel, don't look to the left, don't look to the right. What do I want to do with you? Where is your heart? Romans 5, 5 says, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, the Holy Spirit, once he's poured in our heart, he magnifies everything. 
The, the folks that will be at Bon Air tonight, I don't care how great a story or an analogy or all the preparation you've done, nothing, and I mean nothing, will prick a heart unless the Holy Spirit does the work. Nothing. I could preach the greatest message I've ever preached, and it can fall completely on deaf ears that the Holy Spirit doesn't do the work. There's not a single thing that I can ever do to convince I tell people that. To, I tell people when I'm one-on-one, I say there's nothing I could ever do to convince you that this is true. It is true, and God can convince you it's true. There's nothing I can do other than just present it. But I want to present it with my heart yielded to the Lord. Then when I give whatever I have to give, whether it's time, talent, treasure, gifts, the Lord will then magnify it. He gives the increase. He's the Lord of the harvest, isn't he? He's the Lord of the harvest. The laborers are always going to be few. Jesus says this. But yet God will still accomplish his work. There'll still be, even in a remnant, enough that there's an overflow. And I would pray that we would be, regardless of what other, other people do, we would be those that are yielded and say, Lord, we will give you everything you've asked for. And God will forgive us if yesterday that wasn't the case. But if today... We say, Lord, we yield our hearts to you. You know, I, um, I was unsaved. My next door, my next door neighbor, uh, when we were down in California, he loved Frank Sinatra. Remember Frank Sinatra had that song, I Did It My Way. Some of you folks know that song. I know it. Some of you are like, who is Frank Sinatra? Uh, <laughs> that used to be common knowledge. Maybe he'll make a comeback someday, but I know he's not alive anymore, but I'm talking about his music. But many people, that is the truth of their life. They do do it their way, don't they? Many of us, we used to do it all our way. Many of us still do it our way. And God says, try singing, I did it his way, the Lord's way, what he's asked. What Moses said is it was all that the Lord had commanded the children of Israel to do. But when, when they yielded, Listen to what God gave them. He gave them wisdom, resources, understanding. How many of you are praying for those kind of things? You need resources. You need understanding. You need wisdom. You need the help of the Lord. You want to not build things that collapse. You want to build things that will actually stand the test of time, like your children, like your marriage. If those are the things that you're looking for, say, Lord's like, all you have to do is give me your heart there And then, as you give everything else, I'll multiply the fruit. You know, whether we bear bear 60-fold or 100-fold, that's up to the Lord. The question is, are we giving Him first our heart? Let's look at this next section, the help. So they, verse 3, they they received from Moses all the offering. They continued bringing Him the free will offerings every morning. You know, some, some people have more to give than others. God's not concerned about the amount as much as is it in obedience to Him? Are you obeying the Lord? You know, a person that gives uh, a tenth or a tithe of their um, small, tiny salary is just as valuable to the Lord as the person who makes millions. The person who gives their time for children's ministry or gives their time to bon air or gives their time to harvest, again, is no less valuable than the person who gives their time uh, serving on a mission field. There's many needs, and they all require some measure of time, some measure of abilities or effort, and some measure of cost. Everything. I, was listening, I can't remember which pastor I was, le- was listening to recently, and he said, but I had a guy tell me, but the gospel's free. Yes, the gospel is free, but everything else is going to cost to present it. It's going to cost time. It's going to cost your energy and what abilities God gives you. And it's going to cost things out of our wallet, just as it did with the tabernacle. It's going to take effort. It's going to take sacrifice. This is why when they got the tabernacle, what would take place forever in the tabernacle until the perfect sacrifice would come? Continual sacrifices. 
when you gave a lamb, when you gave a sacrifice, it was real. It was tangible. It cost you something. And it certainly cost the animal everything, didn't it? They would have to give their life, hold the horns of the, of the, uh, of the bull. All these things, God would say, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice will be the pattern of your life. But it won't be a pattern of just our life. It'll be patterned after the life of Christ, who would be the perfect sacrifice. But the people, they, would, they continued to come. In verse 5, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work of the Lord, which the Lord commanded us to do. The people received the commandment. You know, Jesus said that his commandments are not burdensome. Do you believe that? You know, a lot of people think Jesus' commandments are burdensome. That's why they won't follow him. I used to think they were burdensome. That's why I wouldn't follow him. Because if I had to follow Christ, no more fun. Life ends. Stuck at church. Right? Weird people. They have no idea or concept of fun. They'd have no idea even how to laugh. Right? I, I had a definition of what I thought life would be, and it opposite was what I thought the church and the call of Christ was. And of course, <laughs> the, 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 when you try and convince people that the Christian life is more fun than their current life, you're, you're going to hardly win people to Christ with that. If you convince them that they're actually drowning and headed to hell, that's a different proposition, Right? On 9-11, when people were, people were stand, you know, when the, when the planes hit the towers and some people were jumping to their death, could rather will, more willing to commit suicide and die than be consumed by the flames or the smoke inhalation, nobody, the argument would not be for them, hmm, would you rather be eating a fine dinner right now or at a comedy show? Or would you just want someone to get up there and pull you out? That's what Jesus came to do. And when, I, when the Holy Spirit convinced me that the only, really, I was just drowning, whether it was drowning in fun or drowning in misery, because there are people that die and never experience the wonderful abundance of an, the American lifestyle. Would you agree with that? All over the world. They'll never experience, they'll never have an iPhone right? They'll never have cable TV. They'll never have a fantasy team to monitor. All these important things, and I'm sorry, I'm not dissing you guys. I'm actually on one, although I never seem to check it. But uh, and those of you guys know that. Uh, but these kind of things, but none of those things, none of those things are all that important as life or death. And so the children of Israel, because they had received life Everything else paled in comparison when, some of them, when they finally got it. See, we've received life. They didn't get that at first. Some of them didn't get it. But once they receive, we give life. So, Lord, we give our lives back as a sacrifice. So Moses comes down the mountain and says, the Lord wants you to give your time to build this. He wants you to give some of the gold that he gave you back. He wants you to give your abilities. And the people said, yes. And they start bringing it. And there was no telethon. There was no thermometer. They didn't even know how much was enough because there wasn't a thermometer on the wall. They didn't have, you know, call centers were saying, if you sow your seed here, you're going to make a million dollars. None of that stuff was going on. It was simply say, God wants you to give. And the people said, that's all we need to know. And they began to give. Their hearts were yielded. And when it is yielded, the work of the Lord flourishes. And the people are built up right along with the work. The work is built up, but the people are built up in the work. Now, we see the opposite was taking place. Turn with me real quickly to the book of Haggai. Over time, these same children of Israel would forget to have yielded hearts, forget to have helping hands, 
And we see that this dilemma of Kevin and Ryan is a perpetual cycle unless our hearts are renewed, isn't it? In the book of Haggai, i got to get there myself. The book of Haggai, which is right after Zephaniah, that may not help you either. Uh, some of you are back. Maybe you're new in Christ. You're over at Revelation. You're, gonna, you're not going to get there, folks, so just let me read it. These minor prophets are hard to find. Even when you know where you're looking, they're hard to find. But in the book of Haggai, um, look at verse, starting with verse 3, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm, and he who earns wages earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified says the Lord. You looked for much, and indeed it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Did you know that some of people's vicious cycle, God's blowing it away? Yeah. God causes the washer to break down. God causes these things to not work until the Lord says, until you give me your life, you're going to run on a treadmill. And you're going to keep running on the treadmill, and you're going to try and read another article, and try and read another book, and try and listen to another teaching, and try, and God says, none of that. You just follow what the children of Israel did. Say, Lord, thank you for saving me. I give you my life. Whatever that means to each person. And it says, you came, indeed, you looked for much, it blew it away, it became little. Why? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. See, the children of Israel... They had the same dilemma that you and I have. They could either focus on serving themselves or serving the Lord. Everyone's going to serve somebody, right? True? Everybody serves somebody. Some people serve Citibank and their credit card forever. Right? Some people serve Honda Motor Credit. Some people just serve their work. Some people serve their yard. All the things. No matter what it is, the Lord says, you know, there are things you're going to have to do in life, but if you put me first, Jesus said it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other stuff, your Father knows what you need, those things will be added unto you. He knows you have needs. We all have needs. If the Lord wasn't going to not bless the people, if they gave, he was going to bless the people, but they had to realize that, Lord, whatever you've asked us to do, to help in the work, to give our time, to give our talent, to give our treasures to you, it's going to be valuable. You know, even this Thursday, something like Pastor Said, 12 noon to 1 o'clock. I've had lunch with many people in my year, especially when I was in business. Somehow, some way, even the busiest people find time for lunch. You'll find people that they, they, they're very proud of how busy they are, and they'll let you know how busy they are, and all the great things that they do with their busyness. All right, fine. Thursday's a good example. There's many people that could make the time to go and pray for Pastor Sade from 12 to 1 at the Capitol Bell Tower. Not everybody can. I mean, there's people that couldn't do it. They might be in another state with travel. They might have classes at school. But there are also a, 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 a pool of people that could do it but may not do it because it's just not a priority. But if the Lord, and I'm not telling you how to man, I'm not, but if the Lord gives it to you as a priority, what must we do? Go. If the Lord says go, we have to go. And the more we obey when he says go, when he says give, when he says do this, the more we will be in harmony with the Holy Spirit and we begin to see the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in our lives. The people, what they found when they begin to experience what really comes out of obedience 
is safety in the arms of the Lord. Haggai tells us the opposite is true when they refuse to do what the Lord had asked them to do. Frustration, anxiety, treadmill, all of these things. But the people, they experience true joy. Would you agree that they were experiencing true joy by becoming living sacrifices? True joy. That they couldn't by holding on to these things. They became saturated in the selfless nature of the Lord, and they begin to give an overflow so much that there was too much. This is a rare problem, that there's ever too much. I put a, few, I put a list of things that we rarely ever say, we just have too much of this. Here's my list. I, I put together seven things that there's never enough of. Or we, we, we just don't normally say this. How about this one? First one I put down. I needed to get somewhere quick, but there was too much gas in the tank. You ever need to get somewhere, is it just me, uh, and you've not managed your time well at that moment, and you've got to get somewhere, but you're going to have to stop. It's just too much gas in the tank. Never stays there, does it? How about this one? My kids clean the house too much without being told. They just clean the house way too much. There's too much money in my checking account. A lot of you are laughing at that one, isn't, aren't you? I have more energy than I could ever possibly need. How about that one? My body is more healthy than it needs to be. Anyone relate to that one? Everyone I meet is way too nice to me. There are way too many free parking spaces in downtown Richmond. (laughs) How about this one? The prayer meeting had so many people, I could not find a seat. Oh, that one really hits, doesn't it? And here's the last one. Wait for it. We have more servants than are needed for the children's ministry. All of these things. And I could, I could, that was just my top seven. But these are things, we can laugh at them, but some of them we know God isn't smiling about. But why do they remain to be just as comically noticeable as the other things? Because some of those are not sins. They're just, I didn't design the parking spaces downtown. You just have to live with it and accept it and be grateful and thankful to pay your $5. Right? Worse if you get the parking ticket. But Jesus said in John 7, 38, He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That they begin to clean all the other areas of our life that are still clenched fist. Things we're holding on to. Things that we're not willing to give. Things that we're not willing to yield on. You know, I love that Moses didn't really give the people a whole lot of instruction other than say, Collectively, here's the needs. If you want to serve the Lord, come fill them. And they did. Everything got filled. The children's ministry got filled. The prayer meetings were filled. The evangelism teams were filled. I'm speaking spiritually speaking. The things that we see there, we see a repeat of this in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit falls, the church explodes. Why? Because no one had to be browbeaten by anyone, the Holy Spirit says, come, come, rivers of living water, tell your neighbor about me, make a meal for them, serve their children, go tell someone about Jesus. All these things begin to take place because the Holy Spirit, when the hearts were yielded, the help came from the people. The, ha- the helping hands were there. You know, the growing in our life, I have found this to be the case, the growing is always in going and giving you cannot grow by just learning. You all agree with that? You can watch hours of the top tennis players in the world, but you won't become good just by watching them. You actually have to play tennis. Would you agree? Oh, I know everything about tennis. I've watched hours of it. The Lord says, you want to grow, you've got to go. You've got to give. You've got to do these things. Blessed are those 
that do these things. Not just that hear these things. Jesus said, don't be just hearers of the law or the word. Don't be just hearers of the word, but doers. Moses, we heard uh, what you said, and I have nominated Kevin. <laughs> right? Because he's, re- and, and, they get, and then they get really, some people will really pour it on in the flesh. They'll see, because you're really good at that kind of stuff. I like to, sometimes people tell me something like that, I'll say, no, I'm not. I'm not actually good at it. I'm one of the worst at it. I just have to obey the Lord and do it, and then over time, he can even use someone as insignificant as me to do X, Y, or Z. He doesn't use talented, great, genius people. He uses people that are yielded. He uses Gideons. He uses little shepherd boys. He uses fish and loaves. It's when it's yielded, then the Lord, but the people have to have that willing heart. It's in going. That's where the growing is. When I moved to... Um, when I moved to Charlotte and we got saved, uh, a couple of years before we, we were living there in Charlotte, and uh, then I got involved at a men's Bible study. And when the Lord uh, called me uh, to go to this tiny little Calvary chapel, I first saw the place in a dream. I told you all that before my testimony uh, and didn't know what I was looking at until I actually got there. I'm like, wow, where have I seen this place before? This tiny little church. Boy, did I not want to be there. There was like 20-some people in the church. I had no desire in my flesh, nor did my wife. We got trapped because we were the first car in the parking lot. It was a gravel parking lot. I was going to back out and leave and go back to the big, nice church that we loved, and two cars pulled in and hemmed us in. That's so the Lord. He's like, you're not getting out of here. And every week I went, and I did not want to be there. Every week I didn't want to be there. I was like, the worship's no good. The teaching's not any good. The place is small, and God says, exactly, because this is your heart. Your heart is all about you. And then when I started to say, Lord, how can I serve this guy? And the Lord put on my heart, there's no men's ministry here. Why don't I start a men's prayer meeting? It grew to the point on Wednesday nights, after the Wednesday night service, we had like 25, there, first when I got there, there was only 25 people in the church. There was like 25 men staying till 10 o'clock at night on Wednesday praying. Families were transformed, and then the Lord called me to Richmond. We got here, we got to Richmond, we started serving in children's ministry, and you guys know I do not enjoy the smell of the toddler room, but nevertheless, I was doing that, and, we, and the Lord was just saying, what about these young people? We, my wife and I, we didn't want to start a youth ministry, but the Lord told us to start a youth group. Went to the pastor, began and so, but every time I did those things, I don't think I was, quali- I know I wasn't qualified, but I grew because I went. Amen? How many of you can relate to it? You think, God says, do this. You say, well, I'm not ready for that. Who was ever ready for marriage? <laughs> Who was ever ready for their first rental payment? Who was ever ready for a rental payment and a car payment all at the same time? God says, you grow when you take on responsibility. You don't wait till it's perfect timing. There's no such thing. So the people said, Lord, we'll just give. And then when they started giving of their time, their talent, treasure, they went, wow. Things are, all of a sudden, I love my wife more. All of a sudden, I, I'm actually not hating my boss. I'm praying for them. The Lord transforms the totality of your life, but it starts in that little area of saying, yes, Lord, I'll go. Andrew Murray said, obedience is what God demands. Obedience attains what was lost by the fall, and Jesus came to restore the power of obedience. Did you hear that? The power of obedience. There's power in obedience. Why? Because God loves when his children say yes to him and no to themselves. And then the Holy Spirit says, I will take that and magnify it for the Father's glory. Everyone has things that the Lord wants them to do and to give as commanded. Now, not everybody has the same thing. I, I love the story. Uh, D.L. Moody, how many of you heard of D.L. Moody? I mean, millions got saved in the United States and England under his ministry. Uh, he credits, he credits uh, his 1872 trip to Britain uh, was the work of a bedridden sick young woman named Marion Adlard. She had 
She didn't have money to give. She didn't even have health to give as far as she couldn't help come and sew curtains or any of that kind of stuff. She couldn't do anything. She was literally bedridden. But what she had to give, she was an incredible prayer warrior. Incredible prayer warrior. So she would lay in her bed, and D.L. Moody, to the day he died, was convinced that two things, the Holy Spirit and her prayers, got him to England. Period. And he, and he wasn't the only one. Other men of God, well-known men of God who had met her said the same thing. They said, this woman's prayers bring down armies. Because whatever you do have to give, God will multiply it. Whatever it is. Even the person that has nothing, in their mind they have nothing to give. And God says, time out. Let me take that inventory and I'll show you what you have to give. Everyone has something. The Lord says, I'll take that and I'll raise up a tabernacle with that gift. The work of the Lord is always going to flourish when we give our lives. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, and verses 13 and 14, we see that the Lord blesses that yielded, giving life. He says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. It goes on in the 13th verse. Happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. God says, I'll exchange what you have for what I have. Because the material world means nothing to the Lord. He doesn't, even Paul would later say, God doesn't dwell in a house made with human hands, correct? The tabernacle was simply symbolic. God does not dwell. He is the universe, right? He doesn't doesn't need anything that we build. But he says, I'll give you what I have, and that's understanding, joy, and wisdom. And he gave the children of Israel all those things as they gave their hearts and their willingness to say, yes, Lord, we'll serve. He gave them exactly what is promised to us in Proverbs chapter 3. Let's look at this last point as we come to a close, the house, which we see uh, described, the building of the tabernacle. Uh, Take the time to read all of it if you haven't read. um, You know, there's many different, matter of fact, if you go out on any the internet search engines, you can search for illustrations of the tabernacle. It's a beautiful you know, what God had put together, it was uh, certainly in structure. Uh, the dimensions uh, would be similar to then later the temple would be built. Of course, it would have that rectangular view, and you would have the Holy of Holies, and all the things that we see in the tabernacle will then transfer and be in the temple that Solomon would build, and then uh, also in the second temple as well, and then even the temple that uh, was massively upgraded by Herod, Uh, in the time of Christ. But the tabernacle, a beautiful structure, not that God needs any of this uh, to live in, but again, he's showing that someday, when we all get to heaven, we'll see the tabernacle of the Lord. We'll see the holy of holies. We'll see the cherubim. We'll see all the things that are in the house of the Lord. And the children of Israel, they were just like Abraham. These things were to cause them not to dwell earthly-minded, but they would look to their heavenly home. Amen? Abraham, it says that he did not look to Canaan to be his home. He looked to a home that would be future in heaven. We're not trying to build the Lord's kingdom. We pray his kingdom to come down. We're not here to build his kingdom. We're here to work for the kingdom that the kingdom will someday come down. And of course, the kingdom is in us now. The residency of the kingdom is in our hearts through the gospel, through salvation, through the blood of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. But yet the Lord has us still working for the kingdom. We are building up the body of Christ. The Lord has us building up the body of Christ, similarly, as they were to build up a literal tabernacle, we now collectively, not only is your body and my body, not only is our bodies the temple of the Lord, but collectively, 
as the church, and not just Calvary Chapel of Richmond, but our brothers and sisters that are in Baptist churches, and our brothers and sisters that are in Church of God, and all, and wherever the true saints of God are, we are the temple of the Lord. Amen? And the Lord has us. This is why Jesus had the disciples washing each other's feet and serving one another, that we would build up the house of the Lord. And when we see that the basic elements which we've covered in the past, like things like wood, which is basically us. You and I are wood. We're not. Wood is in and of itself will decay and erode, but when the Lord overlays us with the gold of his heavenly perfection, God does a great work. And he beautifies, you know, these earthen treasures that we are with the work of the Holy Spirit, which is overlaying the church and causes us, you know, when gold, you put gold on uh, a piece of wood, wood doesn't shine and reflect. But when God puts that gold on it, it certainly does, doesn't it? And it reflects the glory of where? Jesus is in heaven, reflects the perfection of our Savior. God wants us as a house of the Lord to reflect his glory. Just like Israel, with the tabernacle, it was to be pointing the whole world to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It wasn't to be, look at our great tabernacle. It would be, look at our great God. That's what it is. You and I also, we cannot set out to build things that are our dreams and our designs. Amen? We can't try and create things that serve and glorify ourselves. We can't build something because everybody else is building it the temptation of people in ministry. Well, everyone else is building this and doing this, then we should do that. Not necessarily. Many things God would have said, I couldn't care less that everyone else is doing that. Moses was not building a tabernacle as everybody else was. Moses didn't say, I got a great design. It's going to really make our church really popular. He said, this is what the Lord said to do and we need to do it. This is what the Lord wants us to do. And sometimes, even when our hearts seemingly are in the right place, the Lord still has to, perf- uh, really kind of has to perfect and let us know, no, 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 that, that may be of you, not of me. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, you had Peter, James, and John up there with Jesus. And Jesus appears in his glorified state, and he's talking to Moses and Elijah, and the two of them are talking to Jesus about going to the cross. What a scene. Can you imagine that? They literally saw Jesus glorified, Moses and Elijah talking about Jesus going to the cross, encouraging the Lord. But then Peter answered and said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 4 and 5, if you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He thought he was, hey, the best thing we can possibly do is build a tabernacle. Jesus, standing there while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, and whom I am well pleased, hear him. Most of the lives are gone. God didn't want them to build a literal tabernacle. God says, that tabernacle was built by Moses under my command. Your tabernacle, Peter, James, and John, will be to go and preach the gospel and build up the living church of Christ after my son has risen from the dead. Don't go around the world building edifices. Build up people. Build up lives. This is what Jesus did. He healed the lame. He cast out demons. He saved thousands. This would, be, this would build the temple, the temple of the body of Christ. This tabernacle, and we see in the 36th chapter, it wasn't Moses' dream or grand plan. The plan was the Lord's. The purpose was the Lord's. The design was the Lord. The priesthood was the Lord. The giving that God would actually command the people to give was the Lord's. All these were the Lord's commands. I love Psalm 127.1. You know it well. Unless the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain who build it. How many times have we labored in vain? 
How many times have ministries labored in vain? Sometimes I think I'm laboring in vain, and sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm not. I guarantee you, Noah thought many times he was laboring in vain. Don't you think? Come, help us build the ark. No way. Come, get on the ark. Mm -mm. It wasn't in vain when his family was saved, was it? But it seemed like it was in vain for a long time. And you have to have the Lord test your motives. You want to build a tabernacle like Peter Peter loved Jesus. Let's build a tabernacle. God says, no. Noah, you build a boat. Moses, you build an ark. So-and-so, you go on the mission field over here. Why do they go there and I'm stuck here? It's not, not for you to ask. You just stay right where you're at and let me help build the house that I've called you to. So many different ministries. I look around the world and there's so many God, godly men and women that God's using. And you can really, you can go off in all directions looking at, well, so-and-so's doing this. So-and-so. And the Lord's like, listen to what I've asked you to do. And a lot of times people will look at big, grandiose things rather than just give the simple things that God has already asked for. If we give the simple things, the rest of the path begins to become clear, doesn't it? I'll never forget, you know, very early in being saved, me and my wife, we had our first child, and um, I think we might have even started working children's ministry before we had a child. I can't remember uh, now. It's when you get old, the things just start to get foggy on you. But uh, and I just knew that, Lord, it's such a basic little thing. We can serve other people's kids. But how did I, I never knew, it never dawned on me until looking back, that was the beginning of me learning ministry. Little things. Now, some people will serve in children's ministry the rest of their life, and praise the Lord. That's like a prayer warrior that's in bed forever that God says this is your singular calling, but other people will be moving on to other things. God will say, all right, this is that time. Now you move to here. Now you move to this. And, but when we give, the Lord will build up something beautiful. We can look back and say, God raised this tabernacle in our life, not us. Amen? You know, Jesus did it all for us. He is the great giver, isn't he? And he's the one that builds us up. I love this. Uh, He gave and we gained. Amen? We give and go and he grows us. As he grows us, he galvanizes the work, but ultimately he glorifies himself. Amen? Amen? 